is a place where they'll pay you a thousand dollars for a kiss and fifty cents for your soul. podcast about celebrity deaths and the strange events in Tinseltown and beyond. We are your hosts, Megan Carpenter and Liz Shire. Here are today's headlines. Today's service was much quieter. The guests were admitted by invitation only, and there were only 200 of those sent out. A few fans without invitations showed up at the door, but they were quietly turned away. They waited in small clusters down the block. The invited guests were a mixture of Seattle's Chinese community and Hollywood. Both worlds were familiar to Lee. Within days, more than 20,000 mourners crowded the streets of Hong Kong to pay their respects to the fallen superstar. Following a memorial service, his body was taken to Seattle where Bruce and his wife had met and fallen in love. Among those at the funeral were close friends James Coburn and Steve McQueen, who served as pallbearers. At the age of only 32, Bruce Lee had left behind a wife, two children, and an unrivaled legacy in the world of entertainment and martial arts. The son of late martial arts star Bruce Lee has died. 27-year-old Brandon Lee was killed during a movie set accident today. He was filming a scene for the movie The Crow when he was hit by a projectile fired from a gun loaded with blanks. I've never talked about this on camera. Michael was the actor who fired the gun that accidentally killed Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow in 1993. It absolutely wasn't supposed to happen. I wasn't even supposed to be handling the gun in the scene. What happened to Brandon was a tragic accident. You may remember his father, Bruce Lee, died mysteriously at 32 years old. That's a surprising story. It's part two of the Flesh and Blood trilogy on today's episode of Hollyweird where you'll see us covering the deaths of a celebrity and their famous child. So, enter the dragon people. This is the story of the deaths of Bruce and Brandon Lee. From Hollywood Productions, this is Flesh. July 20th, 1973, Kowloon Tong, Hong Kong. Martial artist and film star Bruce Lee was in Hong Kong to have dinner with actor George Lazenby, with whom he intended to make a film. Not one to waste any time prior to the dinner meeting, according to Lee's wife Linda, Lee met producer Raymond Chow at 2 p.m. to discuss the making of the film Game of Death. They worked until 4 p.m. and then drove together to the home of Lee's colleague, Betty Ting Pei, a Taiwanese actress. The three went over the script at Ting's home and Chow eventually left. 
Later, Lee complained of a headache, and Ting gave him a pain reliever, Equigizac, which contained both aspirin and the tranquilizer, Meprobate. Around 7.30 p.m., he went to lie down for a nap. When Lee did not arrive for dinner, producer Raymond Chow came to the apartment, but he was unable to wake Lee up. A doctor was summoned and spent 10 minutes attempting to revive Lee before sending him by ambulance to Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Lee was declared dead on arrival at the age of 32. There was no visible external injury, however, according to autopsy reports, Lee's brain had swollen considerably from 1,400 to 1,575 grams, a 13% increase. The autopsy found Equigizac in his system. On October 15, 2005, Chow stated in an interview that Lee died from an allergic reaction to the tranquilizer meprobate, the main ingredient in Equigizac, which Chow described as an ingredient commonly used in painkillers. When the doctors announced Lee's death, it was officially ruled a death by misadventure. While this sounds cut and dry, three months prior to his death, on May 10, 1973, Lee collapsed during a dialogue replacement session for Enter the Dragon in Hong Kong. Suffering from seizures and headaches, he was immediately rushed to Hong Kong Baptist Hospital, where doctors diagnosed him with a cerebral edema. They were able to reduce the swelling through the administration of mannitol. The headache and cerebral edema that occurred in his first collapse were later repeated on the day of his death. After his death, Lee's wife Linda returned to her hometown of Seattle and had Lee's body buried on Lot 276 of Lakeview Cemetery in Seattle. Pallbearers at Lee's funeral on July 25, 1973 included Steve McQueen, James Coburn, Chuck Norris, George Lazenby, and Lee's brother Robert. Around the time of Lee's death, numerous rumors appeared in the media. Lee's iconic status and untimely death fed many wild rumors and theories. Some of these rumors included murder involving the triads and a supposed curse on him and his family. Sounds like this is going to be a good postmortem. Donald Tear, a forensic scientist recommended by Scotland Yard, who had overseen over a thousand autopsies, was assigned to the Lee case. His conclusion was death by misadventure caused by an acute cerebral edema due to a reaction to compounds present in the combination medication Equigizac. Bruce Lee left behind a wife and two children, one of whom was eight-year-old Brandon. Brandon grew up training in various martial arts philosophies, and he too transitioned into acting. That all came to an end on March 31, 1993. Brandon was killed in an accidental shooting on a film set during the filming of the movie The Crow. He was 28 years old. In the scene in which Lee was accidentally shot, Lee's character walks into his apartment and discovers his fiancée being assaulted. Actor Michael Massey's character fires a 44 Magnum revolver at Lee as he walks into the room. A previous scene using the same gun had called for inert dummy cartridges fitted with bullets but no powder or primer to be loaded into the revolver for a close-up scene. For film scenes that utilize a revolver where the bullets are visible from the front and do not require the gun to actually be fired, dummy cartridges provide the realistic appearance of actual rounds. 
Instead of purchasing commercial dummy cartridges, the film's prop crew created their own by pulling the bullets from live rounds, dumping the powder charge, then reinserting the bullets. However, they unknowingly or unintentionally left the live primer in place at the rear of the cartridge. Now would be a really good time to brush up on our gun terminology. What is a primer? A primer is the chemical or device responsible for initiating combustion, which results in the firing of the weapon. At some point during filming, the revolver was apparently discharged with one of these improperly deactivated cartridges in the chamber, setting off the primer with enough force to drive the bullet part way into the barrel, where it became stuck, a condition known as a squib load. I thought a squib load was an unfortunate male bedroom performance. No? Oh, never mind. The prop crew either failed to notice this or failed to recognize the significance of this issue. In the fatal scene, which called for the revolver to be fired at Lee from a distance of 12 to 15 feet, the dummy cartridges were exchanged with blank rounds, which feature a live powder charge and primer, but no bullet thus allowing the gun to be fired without the risk of an actual projectile. But since the bullet from the dummy round was already trapped in the barrel, this caused the bullet to be fired out of the barrel with virtually the same force as if the gun had been loaded with a live round. It struck Lee in the abdomen, mortally wounding him. He was rushed to the New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, North Carolina, where he underwent six hours of surgery. Attempts to save him were unsuccessful, and Lee was pronounced dead at 1.03 p.m. The shooting was ruled an accident. The beginning of the film, which had not been finished, was rewritten, and the apartment scene remade using computer graphics from an earlier scene of Lee. After an autopsy was performed, he was flown to Seattle, Washington, where he was buried next to his father at the Lakeview Cemetery in a plot that Linda Lee Cadwell, Brandon's mother, had originally reserved for herself. A private funeral took place in Seattle on April 3, 1993. Only close family and friends were permitted to attend, including Lee's immediate family as well as the family of his fiancée, Eliza Hutton. The following day, 250 of Lee's family, friends, and business associates attended a memorial service in Los Angeles, held at the house of actress Polly Bergen. The gravestone is a tribute to Lee and Hutton. Its two twisting rectangles of charcoal granite join at the bottom and pull apart at the top. It represents Eliza and Brandon, the two of them, and how the tragedy of his death separated their mortal life together. Said his mother, Linda Lee Cadwell, who described her son, like his father before him, as a poetic, romantic person. We talked the tragedy, but how did Bruce and Brandon make it there? Time to rewind. Bruce Lee was born on November 27, 1940, in San Francisco, California. Bruce's father, Lee Ho Chin, was Han Chinese, and his mother, Grace Ho, was of Eurasian ancestry. That would be half Chinese, half Caucasian. Bruce was the fourth of five children, Phoebe Lee, Agnes Lee, Peter Lee, and Robert Lee. Lee and his parents returned to Hong Kong when he was three months old. 
His father was a famous opera and film star. His mother came from an affluent family. Therefore, Bruce grew up in Hong Kong with a certain amount of privilege. Despite that privilege, the area of Hong Kong in which they lived became overcrowded and dangerous. Bruce had been involved in a few street fights. It was after those street fights that his parents decided to enroll him in martial arts training. The largest influence on Lee's martial arts training was his study of Wing Chun. Listeners, please forgive us if we unintentionally mispronounce or even butcher words, names, and phrases during this episode. He began training at age 16. After a year into his training, other students refused to train with him when they learned of his mixed ethnicity. This comes from a general theology of the Chinese that martial arts techniques should not be trained to non-Asians. Due to this, Lee ended up with more personal or one-on-one training with the instructors. Street fighting continued and included a fight in which Lee beat the son of a prominent organized crime family. Lee's father decided his son would be safer living back in the United States. In 1959, he moved to San Francisco to be with his older sister Agnes, who was already living there. A short time later, Lee moved to Seattle, where he studied drama at the University of Washington. There he met his future wife Linda, a fellow student studying to become a teacher. Together they would have two children, Brandon, born in 1965, and Shannon, born in 1969. Lee began teaching martial arts in the United States and even opened schools in Seattle and Oakland. All the while, he continued participating in fight matches and competitions. In 1964, Lee participated in a match with Wong Jack Man. The match followed Lee's refusal to comply with an ultimatum issued to him by the Chinese community to stop teaching martial arts to non-Chinese people. If Lee lost the match, he would shut down his school. If he won, he'd be free to teach people of any race and ethnicity. This was all according to Lee, Wong denied that these were the terms. All the details of the match, including length, aggressiveness, and winner, were disputed. Because Lee's father was a star, Bruce appeared in several films as a child. By age 18, he had appeared in 20 films. After moving to the U.S., Lee pretty much abandoned a career in film, but a martial arts exhibition in 1964 led Bruce to meeting the right people, going to an audition, and the rest was history. Bruce played Cato, the sidekick role on the 60s series The Green Hornet. Another challenge for The Green Hornet. His aide, Cato, and their rolling arsenal, The Black Beauty. On police records, a wanted criminal, The Green Hornet is really Britt Reed, owner-publisher of the Daily Sentinel. His dual identity known only to his secretary and to the district attorney. And now, to protect the rights and lives of decent citizens, rides The Green Hornet. Television guest appearances followed, as well as choreography for martial arts films. He returned to Hong Kong, where he made some films that he hoped would propel him to stardom, and they certainly did just that. The films continued, and Lee even introduced audiences to a young martial artist named Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris's tears cure cancer. Too bad Chuck Norris has never cried. Popular films like Game of Death and Enter the Dragon followed. 
Unfortunately, Lee passed six days before the release of Enter the Dragon. Brandon Lee, his sister, and his mother moved back to the United States after the death of his father. Following in his father's footsteps, Brandon majored in theater in college, all the while getting trained in martial arts by some of his father's top students. His first acting role came in Kung Fu the movie, but leading roles came later in Hong Kong-made films. His first starring role in an American film was the 1992 thriller Rapid Fire, in which Lee plays a student placed into witness protection after witnessing a murder. Many of the fight scenes were choreographed by Brandon. He then landed the role that would lead to his demise, Eric Draven in The Crow. This would be a film adaptation of a comic book in which the main character, played by Lee, would be revived from the dead to avenge his murder. It would be the most successful film of his short-lived career, debuting in the number one box office spot. It's time for Hollyweird Post-Mortem. Decades apart, why are the deaths of Bruce and Brandon Lee so intriguing? Were the duo cursed, or did they have the shittiest luck out there? Here's our best guess. Liz, as we start all male-oriented podcast postmortems, this was some underrated father-son hotness. It really was. I didn't even think about it, really. Yeah, no. Until I started doing some research. When but, we yeah. picked them as a topic, even when I started writing out bullet points for the postmortem, hotness was not something I thought I would include. Mm-hmm. So I educated myself in the process of doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think, like, I don't know, like, why do we not think Bruce Lee was, like, hot? Was it just because, like, he's, like, generations before us? Personally, I think it's the roles that he was in, like, my first thought, if I think about a hot actor, is not a kung fu movie. Yes, yes, okay. Maybe for some women it is, mm-hmm. and that's totally fine. Yeah. But I think about, like, oh, a Brad Pitt in um, yeah. Thelma Louise, something right. like that. We think about hot actors. But right. it actually was like, wow, he was, yes. he was a very good looking It's just man. like, yeah, so, like, martial arts movies, not my cup of tea. Yeah. So, therefore, I don't, I don't take hotness out of that. Correct. Right. But when you look up pictures, he was, like, a really handsome man. Yes, he's very handsome. And those jeans got passed down to Brandon. <laughs> so, first of all, like, jawline for days. Oh, my God, yes. So, like, chiseled. AF. AF. But <laughs> I never think of Brandon Lee as hot because I always think of Brandon Lee in crow makeup. That crazy makeup. And, like, uh, a, like... It's not pleather. Like, what is it? No, it's pleather. And the cover art for the film, he's, like, posed in a way. He's got this thigh gap that I'm very jealous of. He he doesn't look masculine in the movie. Right. But then when you see the actor, you're like, oh, my gosh, he really is. Yeah. Very handsome. So both of them incredibly handsome. So for some people, perhaps that's their main takeaway, and that is why they are fascinating to some people. Yeah. Um. I'm newly fascinated by that. Uh, Megan's going to bookmark some <laughs> pages on her phone. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Do I need to bring up Leonardo DiCaprio? No. Okay. I don't today. Um, but yeah. I mean, I guess and part of, you know, being a movie star is looking good. 
Yeah. And being attractive. and Yeah. So, like, I don't know why we are surprised by this because we shouldn't be. They're famous people. Yeah. Who probably got there partially by their handsomeness. Oh, well. But. It's the world we live in. I'm yeah. not mad about it. Okay. <laughs> Liz, have you ever seen The Crow? No. No, me neither. That probably would have been really good research for us to do in preparation for this. Maybe. But you know what stopped me, Megan? It was when I tried to do some research on it. The the synopsis of The Crow, first of all, talks about a supernatural superhero. I don't like that two those words together. <laughs> Pick another one. Pick another iteration. And then, you know, The Crow tells the story of Eric Draven, a rock musician who was revived from the dead to avenge his own death. Right. <laughs> Which is like, I, no, I can't, I can't do it. I can't comprehend that. It's you're already you lost me. You we've we have a lot of things going on already. Yes, already. But then as also we, like I'm comparing everything to a Star Is Born now. Oh God! And like I'm just like envisioning like Jackson Maine. Oh, spoiler alert! No, nope, I'm not even gonna say it. Did you done. see? Is he done? Yeah. Duh. Okay. You know what? I don't know why I'm like, spoiler alert, because this is the fourth iteration of A Star is Born. <laughs> like, the first one came out like 80 friggin' years ago. Yeah. yeah. No spoiler. The dude dies. <laughs> but I'm just envisioning like the rock musician coming back from the dead because I'm just on such a Star is Born kick right now. Yeah, it. So the premise of the movie is a little hard to swallow. Right. Oh, but you didn't even finish it. To not only avenge his own death, but the rape and murder of his fiance. Right. Mm. So he's avenging multiple things. What? As a, um, not zombified, because he's not a zombie, but kind of zombied rock musician. That's very, that's a very specific um, genre. It really is. And it's. The, the fans of that genre, could we say it's a Rob Zombie-esque kind of like... Yeah. yeah. So, but here's the thing. You read that, and you're like, oh, I have no interest in seeing this movie. Right. Agreed? Right. But also you're like, that's a fucking terrible movie, you would assume. Yes. So I assumed that, like, doesn't it suck that Brandon Lee died while making a shitty-ass film? Right. 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 Turns out, this bitch has an 81% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Damn. That's like a... That is like a, a red tomato with a little gold banner under it. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to say about this. So, and I guess it has like a, a cult following. Right. Which I would anticipate that it did regardless of its Rotten Tomatoes rating. Yeah. But, so, the critical consensus states, quote, filled with style and dark, lurid energy, The Crow is an action-packed visual feast that also has a soul in the performance of the late Brandon Lee. Hmm. Reviewers praise the action and visual style. I feel like those are two things that maybe don't always go together in a movie. Yeah, I think it's pretty rare. So... Yeah, so I'm probably not going to see this film, but I'm still just surprised that it um, might actually be a good one. Yeah. It's still kind of crazy that it got released. Yes. So, why? 
They probably put a lot, a lot of money behind it, and you can't not release something just because they yeah. are on production. Um, there was a remake that was scheduled but got canned in the beginning of 2018. I'm not sure why it got canned, but it was supposed to star Jason Momoa. Oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, I probably would have seen that crow. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. The other crow. <laughs> We're eating crow. And we are so eating crow. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Liz, do you um believe in in like bad juju? Um somewhat, but I don't think it you should let it rule your life. Okay. Do you think um if you were working on a film, you would let um, bad ju- juju sway your involvement? No, I need money. <laughs> I think that's what everyone on The Crow thought, too. Yeah. Um, because the film set had some bad vibes associated with it from the beginning. Um, and Lee's death was obviously the standout in the series of accidents. Right. Um, on the first day of principal photography, a carpenter on the set... Uh, received some serious burns when a scissor lift he was driving came into contact with power lines. Is this... uh, What is a scissor lift? Okay, so it's like a thing. I have a lot of experience. (laughs) All right, scissor lift. If you guys care, Google it. All right, other accidents that plagued the film involved a stuntman accidentally falling through the roof of a set. A crew member driving a screwdriver through his hand. Mm. Yuch. A truck catching fire. And an angry carpenter driving his car into a plaster shop. No word on whether it was the burned carpenter from the earlier story. A plaster shop on the film set? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like, do they film it in a, in a lot? Maybe. Like in Hollywood? Perhaps. It kind of sounds like, to me, and obviously we weren't there, but it sounds like something that was budge and, like, rushed and that all these things are happening is is kind of... Like, people not not taking care. Yeah. As opposed to Juju. Right. Like, oh, oh, maybe we're cursed, or maybe you're under-caffeinated and didn't check your checklist of safety precautions. Yeah. And this is, since it's an action film, there's a, I mean, action films That's are always true. like a money pit. And the time yeah. crunch that you're under when you film those kinds of things, I don't know, I mean, we have some experience in film. We've never made an action movie, but uh, it tends to be a lot of pressure to get everything done in yeah. a certain amount of time. We get true. Like, blah, blah, blah. So even if you're on a, on a like a film lot, mm-hmm. um, it is really stressful. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of pressure from, like, the director and the I honestly really shouldn't be speaking about this because I don't know exactly what happens but I can imagine we're imagining I can imagine that time and money caused issues mm-hmm. um oh I guess they they probably filmed near Wilmington where a lot of I learned that a lot of filming takes place in Wilmington North Carolina we film a hundred games in North Carolina um, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is filming was also delayed on this film on several occasions because of hurricanes off the coast. Hmm. Interesting. See, that's something that could be in the juju, in the column of yes, juju. <laughs> hurricanes. That's something can't What if it was like the J name for the year? Hurricane Juju. <laughs> Brewing off the, I would be like, damn, that's ominous. <laughs> 
So some people think that you see Brandon Lee's death in the crow. Whoa. Yeah, so there's the scene where his character gets shot with the gun. Yes. Yeah, so the gun that had the bullet that killed him. Right. Uh Uh-huh. So, no. (laughs) Like, why would they leave that in the movie? Yeah, that's, like, not okay. No, so... Um, that's a snuff film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you I mean, just, like, do that. So, people... Some people say that they destroyed that footage immediately. Some people say that they kept it until police could view it. Mm-hmm. Um, some people said they had to send it to insurance. I don't know. Um, but what they ended up doing was they digitally recreated... Um, some of that footage by superimposing his face on the face of a double. Okay. So, um, that scene was recreated digitally. Um, and I guess there was a scene where he like falls out of a window and it was like his face was superimposed on that of a stunt double or something. A 1994 superimposition of a face in a movie sounds like a bad... Right, like, yeah. I want to, now I kind of want to watch the movie just to see if the um, yeah. special effects are up, up to snuff there. Something tells me no. <laughs> um, so what, at what point were they filming when he died? Did another actor replace him? No, I think they were able to finish it out um, using, like, secondhand footage, um, like stuff they might not have originally wanted to use. But then they ended up using oh plus um, superimposing, or you know, is he rewrites. Where... They did they did do some rewriting, so probably okay. to feature other people more prominently, or or whatever. Is he wearing the makeup the whole time in the movie? I don't know, girl. I didn't see it because <laughs> that would make it easier to have another actor. As we have established, though, that jawline is hard to recreate. Yeah, it really is. Um. But, yeah, I don't know, like, you come back from the dead and suddenly you have white face makeup on. It's a hard sell. (laughs) It's a hard sell. So, the big thing surrounding Bruce and Brandon Lee is that there was a curse. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So, one of the big reasons, now again, this is kind of like in the realm of conspiracy theories. Absolutely. Um... People really get hyped about this kind of stuff. But there are some... (laughs) I'm just experiencing, like, uh, conspiracy theory hype men and what that looks (laughs) like. Yo, 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 (laughs) yo. Nat Lev was an inside job. That's not cool. Sorry. Not cool, man. (laughs) Anyway. um, So part of the theory is that, well, or, like, the main source of it is that Bruce Lee was cursed... Because he revealed secrets of Kung Fu in the movies that he did. Right. So I am led to believe in my research that martial arts is culturally sacred. Yeah. In um, Eastern cultures. Yeah. Specific Eastern cultures. And that because he revealed them or revealed secrets of martial arts, exposed martial arts in Mm -hmm. his films, um, in films that were... Uh, American, mm-hmm. um, he has more or less been hexed. Which, depending on what you believe, makes sense. Yeah, sure. Um, so, there's a couple theories to back this up. 
One is that Brandon Lee's death was predicted. Um, so so the curse um, up that killed Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. theoretically, right. extended to Brandon. Yes. Okay. Uh, there's a scene in Game of Death, which uh, the actor who plays Bruce's character, well, but the character in the film, pretends to be dead. Um, after being shot by an assassin on a film set. So he's like, plays dead, but like the whole premise is that he gets shot on a film set, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Right. So then um, in his dad's movie, in which this happens, that happens in real life to Brandon. Yes. Right. Creepy. That's weird. Yeah. That is a major coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they made the biopic Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, um, originally... Brandon Lee was offered the role of his father, but he declined to star in The Crow. Wow. Like, that's also insane. That's nuts. So, I wonder why you would decline playing your father. I could imagine it would be a lot of pressure. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, Bruce Lee is truly an icon. Even people who are not like us, who have not mm-hmm. really seen his films, mm-hmm. I know exactly who he is and, yeah. and what he did. So... Brandon Lee was not as well known, a uh, well known of an actor. Right. Um, I think it's a lot of pressure for anybody. Yeah, and then also if he's trying to break out on his own, that's typecasting. Yeah, and also, would you really want to spend like four months of your life thinking about your dead father every single day? No. Yeah, it would be hard. So, um, but interesting that declining to play his father led to his death. That's a crazy Damn. one. That's that's a crazy one. Yeah. It's interesting. So part of this curse also stems, and this is a little, digging a little deeper, but in Dragon the Bruce Lee story, the actor who's playing, playing Bruce Lee is fighting some kind of like demon. Right. That has been haunting him. Yes. And in the movie, the demon starts to go after the actor playing Brandon. Right. Symbolizing... That the curse transfers from Bruce to Brandon. Correct. So, interestingly enough, this biopic, The Bruce Lee Story, was made alongside Linda, who is Bruce's widow, um, and his two children, Brandon and Shannon. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they gave their stamp of approval to that. I mean, they have said that they don't think a curse was on the family, but they certainly played into that narrative in the film. Yeah. By allowing that scene to yeah. be, a, be a part of it. Um, I think it was something like two months before Dragon the Bruce Lee story was released, Brandon died. Wow. So he didn't even get to see um, the release of his father's biopic that he Damn. was instrumental in making decline to be on screen for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is some weird stuff. Just like, regardless of whether it's true or not, I hope no one ever curses me. Yeah. I'm all about denying that shit until I really think it's going on. <laughs> I'm like, don't bring a Ouija board into my house. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, certainly an interesting facet for uh, <laughs> conspiracy theorists and non-conspiracy theorists alike. Mm-hmm. We have the element of... I mean... Just in general, the Bruce Lee in particular is fascinating because he brought a different facet of 
Asian culture to mainstream America mm-hmm. or was responsible for a part of that, mm-hmm. um, which is neat. And then uh, it's just also tragic that both of these men died so young. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all around spooky. Absolutely. (laughs) Want to let us know what you think about Bruce and Brandon Lee, this podcast, or let us know which celebrity death you can't get over? Email your feedback to hollyweirdpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at hollyweirdpodcast to get clues about future episodes and photos that go along with the stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hollyweird. Follow us on Facebook at Hollywood Podcast to stay current with show updates. And join us next time for the finale of the Flesh and Blood series, when we cover the greatest love of all in the untimely deaths of a beloved songstress and her daughter. Liz, are you going to be there? Because I want to podcast with somebody. With somebody who loves me. I'm a demon, no still